Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. 
Joined today by Rivers McCown, who's going to give us the know your foe lowdown on the Houston Texans in, in uh, advance of Sunday's game. Rivers, how you doing? Doing well. <laughs> hey, Rivers, uh, we uh, you know know your work well, friend of the show, obviously. You've worked on Football Outsiders. I know you do some work with Baltimore Sports and Life. Uh, you write about the Texans a lot and are a Texans fan. Tell them where else your work can be found. I mean, the, uh, pretty much all of it gets posted to my Twitter feed. That's kind of my main interaction with people. Uh, Re Sports with uh, Ed Rivers McCowan. I post a lot of tweets about, uh, you know, press conference videos. And, and I post, you know, all 22 and we have it, which uh, unfortunately is not now. Um, stuff like that. Uh, Ed Rivers McCowan is MCCOWN. Now, have you said when the L22 is going to be out this week? I know it's it hasn't been out, hasn't been out, hasn't been out, but have they made any new promises? I've I've heard nothing, so <laughs> you hate well, to see it. They, they better not lose more than a week of this. That's a that's a very serious loss for analysts around the league, that's for sure. So, uh, uh, bummer. Yep. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about the Ravens-Texans game upcoming, and uh, obviously a big one. Uh, the next two games, the biggest for the Ravens, and obviously this kind of concludes the Texans part of the round robin of what a lot of people consider to be the three best teams in the AFC. And, uh, you know, it'll be the Ravens' first of these of these games. Uh, maybe we're going to talk a little bit about the Chiefs game, but let's start with the offseason in terms of, of how you viewed what happened this offseason in the uh, Bill O'Brien regime and, uh, you know, the trade of DeAndre Hopkins. Not that I want to, you know, picking any scabs here or anything, but look, take, take us through a little bit of that from a Texan fan's perspective. Sure. Um, for about four weeks after the Hopkins trade, everybody uh, hated everything, um, <laughs> which is pretty rare these days. I feel like most trades, most acquisitions, you've got at least, you know, the, the, uh, what am I looking for? The you know the, the people who who just are against anything that's the, the popular norm. Uh, people oh, say like anything these days. Yeah, and I was looking for but it doesn't matter. There there's you know people like that for most of these things. But for about a solid month after the Hopkins trade, pretty much everybody was up. Um, pretty much everybody was betrayed. Um, nobody really understands how that could happen even to this day. Uh. Relating it on a personal level between Hopkins and O'Brien, so that was really bad. Um, everything that followed up on it has kind of had that uh, that feel of like, you know, just just trying to window dress something to make it look a little bit better. Uh, bring in Randall Cobb, uh, trading for Brandon Cooks. Um, yeah, very dissatisfying offseason, and pretty much the only thing that everybody came together and was happy about was that uh, Deshaun Watson got his big mega deal finally before the season. So. Okay, well, that, that at least is nice. Of course, Ravens fans, that's important to them in terms of it being a, you know, peg point for, for uh, Lamar to point to. And obviously, we're gulping pretty hard at the amount that both he and Mahomes got, um, especially with uh, with Jackson continuing to play well, at least here in week one. Uh, how about other uh, acquisitions during the offseason? Anything else you, that's worth pointing to? in terms of it being a move that you're really happy about, maybe? Um, I mean, the Texans really don't, really under O'Brien, since since they got rid of their other gentleman, 
commissioner, uh, Brian Gain, they, they really seem to be focused heavily on this idea that uh, um, chemistry and, and personality matters over talent. Um, I think it has done some good things this year because of the COVID situation. Um, I feel like the Texans are probably the least likely team to into a situation where somebody uh, irresponsibly spreads this. Um, so, I mean, that's a positive. But other than that, really, uh, you know, you the two the two big name things, and then uh, you've got a bunch of minor moves and the draft. Okay. And uh, in terms of before we get to the draft, and that's obviously going to be a significant topic. How about development of players between years two and three and three and four? I always two and three. I always look at is if you know a player is good by year three, then you have a chance to sign him early and long term. If you don't figure that out until year four, you may just be looking at a comp pick. But obviously, that's better than the alternative of the guy having a a bust year in year four. And just get your sense of who are the big two to three and three to four players on the Texans right now. Yeah, Bill O'Brien's uh, draft class was was really uh, the 2018 class. Really, um, you know, <laughs> hadn't panned out all that great. It was uh, one that didn't have a lot of draft picks to begin with. Uh, Justin Reed, of course, has been a pretty stellar safety. So, I mean, he's definitely in line for a contract at some point. Uh, Jordan Thomas wound up getting cut at last cuts, uh, went to Arizona. Uh, Jordan Akins is a nice little player, but hasn't really had a big role in the offense yet. And uh, they keep hiding him behind Darren Phils, so they must not like something about him. <laughs> All right. So, so uh, let me, let me what, is, what has Rankin done so far? Has he done much of anything? Uh, he's a chief, or at least he was. Uh, that he they, they sent him off in the Carlos Hyde trade. Okay, I should know that, I guess. Third-round pick, that is early to be trading. So they had three-thirds in 2018, no first or no second, yep. which is one of the other topics I want to bring up, because obviously Bill O'Brien really has not met a draft pick he wouldn't trade, you know, from an outsider's perspective. And to trade two number ones in particular for Tunsil was kind of an interesting move. Yeah, um, it's, it's something that I've been writing about a lot. Um, I feel like it has... Uh, already blown up a little bit about this team. Um, not having those kind of cost certainty guys that come in and, you know, you've got some solid hopes on them being good. I feel the Texans have had to uh, <laughs> hope and pray a lot on these uh, second round, third round picks. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really difficult that trade and uh, him paying Tuntle the, the record setting contract because you couldn't, uh, set up an extension in advance. I mean, it has been, you know, they're happy about it in Houston, the, the O'Brien administration, as far as I can tell, but uh, it has a lot of blow potential, and I don't think people really realize that yet. Right. And he's a, uh, you know, he's a very solid tackle. You know, I'd certainly put him uh, in the same class as Ronnie Stanley, but, you know, despite a lot of the uh, chatter, I don't honestly believe he's quite as good as Ronnie Stanley. Now, that's something coming from a Ravens fan perspective. I understand it. It's a, it's a little biased, but uh, that's where I am. And I'm afraid that, that Stanley's going to want a contract that's at the same level as Tunsil. I mean, he should. Um, Tunsil last year led the league in false starts. Um, thought that there was a vendetta against him for false starts, actually. 
uh, from the league. And, uh, you know, his pass blocking is amazing. But uh, the Texans in general, the last year and a half or so, they the, their run blocking has not been good. And Tunsil kind of when asked to reach guys, hasn't been like pop off the screen good. So, I mean, he's been fine. But, but yeah, I can totally see how Ronnie Stan would look at that contract and be like licking his chops. Well, let's talk a little bit about this year's draft. Uh, the Texans didn't have a one, of course, going in the Tunsil trade, I believe, in 2020. Yep. And the number two pick was a guy I really love, Ross Blacklock, uh, uh, TCU. T- tell me a little bit about where he is right now in terms of his play. Right. Uh, the Ross Blacklock pick came in the DeAndre Hopkins trade, um, along with David Johnson. So that, that traces directly to to Hopkins. Um Ross Blacklock um, feels like a good scheme fit for the, what the Texans do. Um, he's got some good lateral movement, of course. Um, a lot of what people disliked about his pass rush at TCU uh, kind of came out along the process that this is about him taking lateral steps at the line of scrimmage instead of just hitting right, right, right and going. Um, and uh, the Texans are, you know, sure to cure him of that they, they, they don't want him thinking that much so he said he said as much in his interviews and uh week one not a whole lot of impact um i think he played like 10 12 snaps something like that maybe a little more um he's kind of behind in the pecking order right now o'brien has constantly emphasized that he's not going to rely on rookies that much this year so i mean he's he, he's behind it right now but uh he's contributing which is more than you can say for most most texans draft picks right now <laughs> Wait, it's it's just you're very down on this team. It seems just <laughs> the bad here. <laughs> they lost the first game to the Chiefs. Give them a little bit of a break here, right? No, no. I'm saying with with Blacklock, um, I, I do think he has the potential to become a good player. But O'Brien himself has completely emphasized just this rookie thing. This has been in 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 his in press conferences maybe six or seven times this offseason, and there haven't been a whole lot of them. So, I mean, I don't know what to expect from, from them this year, and I'm just hoping to see kind of little flashes of development maybe by midseason he takes over and becomes a solid 3-4 uh, end, that sort of thing. All right. All right. We, lots of other things to talk about, but why don't we swap the switch over to the offense if we're ready for that. And I always like to start with, the offensive line in this case. And can you just take us through player by player and where the Texans now sit in terms of talent and uh, production so far in the first game? Sure. So left tackle, we've got Tunsil. We've talked about him already. Um, obviously extremely talented as a pass blocker. Uh, left guard is Mac Sharping, who has a lot of raw talent. Um, last year, did not pull particularly well. That was one of his big problems. Uh, pulling on combo blocks were a problem for this team last year. And this year, I think he did, uh, I mean, in the one game, I think he did a pretty good job with that. But uh, something that we're still kind of trying to discern how good he's going to be. Um, center Nick Martin, uh, considered a core player by Bill O'Brien, got a big contract extension in the middle of last season. Uh, I'm a little less than thrilled with him. I think he's a fine center. I don't think he's ever going to be like a top five, top 10 sort of guy. Uh, doesn't really stand out athletically. Doesn't really stand out physically. Um, had a lot 
was a power last year, uh, especially in the Titans games. Dayton Jones uh, really pushed him around. Uh, right guard, you got Zach Fulton. Uh, Zach Fulton kind of, uh, I would say at this point, is, is you know, a replacement caliber guard, um, not like somebody who's bad by any means, but uh, certainly they, he took a pick up for the season because they were threatening to bring in somebody else, and uh, uh, he had a tough first game. He, he, he lost. A lot of uh, <laughs> he had a lot of Texans fans uh, mentioning to me how bad he was. I'll put it that way. Uh, and then right tackle, you've got the uh, first round pick from from uh, 2019, Titus Howard, who uh, has shown flashes. Uh, had an MCL sprain in the middle of last year that kind of put him out. Uh, I think he tried to play through it and then went to IR. Uh, he wasn't around for the playoffs at all. Uh, his first game was. Pretty pretty rough. Um, he's got all the physical talent to be a good right tackle, but still kind of working things out there, I think. Okay, so a fair amount of investment in the offensive line in terms of draft picks. Obviously, with Tunsil, the significant trade capital set in, in draft terms, but Titus Howard and Max Sharpie both are one and a two from 2019. Yep. All right. All right. Uh, and it's one of those things that I wrote about in the Football Outsiders uh, essay this year for the book was – uh, kind of looking at all that investment and, and you know, you, you're trying like to like justify that. And, you know, the, the pressure rate for Deshaun Watson went down last year and his sack rate went down last year, but not by a whole lot. And it's, it's one of those, one of those little tip offs where you're like, wait a minute, does this really, was this really a good idea? I don't know yet. <laughs> all right. So let's, let's talk about Watson a little bit. Uh, obviously, a similar style to Lamar in a lot of ways, and a guy who uh, runs around, extends plays. How, how was his time to throw against the Chiefs? I didn't see that. That stat is often misinterpreted, but uh, the next-gen stat, do you happen to know? Uh, it was really fast, I know that. Uh, I know that his pressure rate last week was, uh, per the sports radar, I think the highest in the NFL. Um, so he was getting rid of the ball a lot earlier than he wanted to at times. And <laughs> the, the, it's part of the reason looking at that game tape, you're, you kind of just want to burn the whole thing because he didn't really have a whole, a whole heap of a lot of chance to, to do what they plan to do, I think. Okay. All right. Interesting. Um, you know, I always find it's, it's more of a uh, scheme thing. I mean, Jackson was under a ton of pressure in this first week. Um, by by anybody's measure, but certainly by something I co uh, keep called ample time and space. He only had four out of 27 three-second pockets that were kept clean, and his time to throw ended up being 3.07 because he's, he's having to scramble a lot and extend plays frequently. So oftentimes that will end up being the, um, the way it goes. But uh, on Watson, I, I'll, I'll take your word for it that that's uh, – that's how it went. How has Watson been in terms of keeping his eyes downfield? That was something the Ravens fans noticed in the game last year was that he had some trouble keeping his eyes downfield when there was a little bit of what I call Star Wars trash compactor pressure against him. Well, I definitely feel like the uh, the Texans offensive system has really not come up with a good way to combat pressure yet. Um, the Ravens last year were kind of the intro to that. Uh, if you want more, the Tampa Bay game last year was brutal as far as them, uh, you know, sending blitz all the time. Um, the O'Brien offensive system really, the hot routes, I think, are, are very problematic. And I think 
that has led to a lot of what you're saying, uh, a lot of what your what your uh, re- readers or listeners have, se- have seen, where you know Watson almost knows from the snap that the play is doomed once he sees that. It's, and you know you just got to try to make something out of nothing like he did against the the Bills at the end of that game. Yeah, there you go. Um, is there anything about his future or his usage currently that you're concerned about, and that you, you know, you mentioned that they really haven't come up with a scheme to handle pressure. That's really, in a lot of ways, an offensive line thing, but it also can be a uh, a play calling and offensive design thing to try and just work around that. That your offensive line is not going to be that good. You got to live on the run. You got to do things. Are, are they doing anything to adjust to the fact that the pass protection hasn't been great? If they are, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of it yet. Uh, you know, Bill O'Brien, as a as a designer, I feel like he has moments of inspiration. And in those moments of inspiration, you're like, wow, he really went to Kansas City and, you know, week six, ran all over the Chiefs. Uh, designed a heavy RPO offense, uh, started doing tight end drags. You're like, wow, this is this is this is some good work, man. You can keep doing this. And then three weeks later, it's right back to the same stuff. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to sit here and and tell you that like seven years of this haven't made me somewhat cynical, <laughs> because I mean, this has been a long time. But I feel like you know, bringing an offensive coordinator and Tim Kelly, who no outside experience is only an O'Brien lifer, basically, as far as the NFL goes, has never called plays before until this year. I mean, you you add up. Uh, it's really hard for me to sit here and, and be like, man, I, I, I'm almost positive that they'll get that corrected. It, it If it happens, um, I'm, you know, I'm dancing. I'm happy about it. But, <laughs> man, you know, going into week one, you know that everybody's going to be blitzing Watson after last year. and just, it's just the same old stuff, man. Just the same old stuff. All right. All right. Well, I know, you know, after, in a post-Hopkins world, the, the, the wide receiver position can't be as strong as it was. But t- take us through the individual uh, wide receivers that have been getting the most targets and getting the most playing time so far. Will Fuller um, is kind of replaced Hopkins as the number one option last week. Um, I think he saw almost 50% of the area, maybe more. Um Good player, really fast, uh, has the kind of speed where you can, you know, tee off on on corners, trying to bail him deep so he can pick up some cor- curls, some ends, that sort of thing, uh, posts. Uh, I really like Will Fuller. I think he's a great player. His only problem has been staying healthy. But uh, for this game, you know, we don't have to worry about that yet. So he's really good. Uh, Brandon Cooks, um, acquired of the offseason second round uh, pick right to the Rams. I think it was one of being Van Jefferson. Uh, Cooks, speed receiver. Uh, you know his game at this point. Uh, doesn't do well with press coverage. Uh, needs manufactured touches to really work at his, at his uh, peak, I would say, but not a bad outside receiver for sure. Um, has that same speed aspect that uh, O'Brien and them have been coveting for a while. Um, kind of the scuttlebutt was that they wanted to replace Hopkins with somebody faster, um, they thought that Hopkins was, was slowing up on those deep balls, I guess. So, I mean, that was the excuse they offered anyway. <laughs> I, I don't know how true any of that is, but Cooks uh, definitely has the speed to do what they wanted to do. Um, 
after that, I would say probably next year you got Randall Cobb, who uh, is a you know a 31 year old slot receiver at this point. Got uh, all guile, uh, very good against zone coverage. Uh, for some reason, played 10 snaps out wide last week, which me just dying because the Cowboys used him uh, 99% slot last year. <laughs> so I can't wait to, to for that all 22 to drop to just laugh at all that. Fine player, uh, competent catcher of the ball, except for last year when a new offense. So, I mean, like he, I think he had like 11 drops last year. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, that was a big contract this year that I was very afraid of. And uh, fourth, you got Kenny Stills, who I think is a really good receiver. Um, I don't understand why he's been relegated to fourth. And uh, I think he offers a lot of good speed downfield and is uh, a good fit for the offense. But uh, they apparently decided that they couldn't rely on all these guys staying healthy. So uh, somebody's got to be fourth, and that's Stills this year. Okay. Now, that, that does kind of make sense in terms of having a fourth healthy receiver, the way the Ravens have a fourth healthy running back. Uh, in theory, that, that these guys do get hurt some. DeCosta's often made the point that cornerbacks, in particular, like pitchers. The Ravens had so many cornerback injuries over the years that they they just have to keep a, 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 a real surplus on the roster to make sure they can even get through a season and, and develop them as well and all the things you have to do. So, um, I, I, you know, I certainly think the fourth receiver in the NFL right now is a pretty important position. Would you agree? I think it has a, a very big space in the specific offense because I feel like Randall Cobb is almost a tell when he is on the field. So, yeah, I think I think definitely fourth receiver is is important to have somebody who can step in and, and be that guy. And, uh, you know, has a lot of big game experience. So uh, <laughs> I would say that he's probably my set, the, the guy I would want to throw to the second most on this team. So I think he's really good, obviously. Okay, so the, the Texans, have they run mostly out of 11 personnel, uh, say, in 19 and 20? You can't look at just the Chiefs game. Or have they done some 12 as well, or 21? Uh, they um, they spent a lot of time in 12 last year towards the end of the season. Uh, that was kind of a midseason shift where I wanted to get Jordan Akins more involved. Um, and, of course, you know, Akins got best blocker, so that didn't always go like they wanted it to. But... Uh, been primary for a while now, I feel like. Uh, they do run out of 11. They have a fullback, uh, Cullen uh, Gillespie, who has had some okay results when he was actually, surprisingly so, but uh, they don't use him very much, and he was hurt uh, last week. I don't know what the injury report status is this week, but uh, kind of up in the air. Okay, All right. fair enough. Have they, out of the 12 personnel, have they been uh, using a lot of that for play action? Uh, doing some things. It seems like Watson is the kind of quarterback who keeping two hands on the football and making any kind of a motion to a running back would tend to make linebackers bite. Yeah, I mean, last year they they ran a lot of the RPO stuff out of 12. Um, that was very big. The tight end drag, as I said earlier, was, was a very big in-season change. So that stuff is in there. I don't know, but I would say that they call it staples. Like, I, I think that they get away from it a little bit too much sometimes they do do some play action but a lot of what o'brien likes to do is kind of as i, as I think i brought up for you last year that that double deep cross route the yankee concept and uh they're they're they love that route they often do not give in my opinion lots of enough underneath options in it so it, it kind of whenever 
they run a lot of play action, you actually see that time to throw number go up and up and up and up. So you try to buy the time to find one of those guys open. I, I did find it, by the way, for the first week, 2.59, which is which is on the low end, certainly, of the of the league. Not the very lowest, but but on the low end. Uh, so it's, it certainly seems like that's a that's an issue. Now, one of the things that the Ravens do is is have not only four vertical routes, they occasionally can have a five vertical route where you're not running all the way vertical with the with the with the fifth receiver is running an intermediate route. But the idea is that your check down receiver is um, Jackson himself. Have the have the Texans been employing that kind of a concept as well? I think the Texans mostly would prefer Watson to throw. I'm not saying that it always winds up that way. Um, and there is the occasional quarterback draw or something like that, but it's very rare that you see Watson used that way. Um, I, I guess as far as like underneath stuff goes, um, probably David Johnson is your most reliable guy on the roster for that stuff right now. Um, Akins is is kind of more of a post post kind of receiver, maybe some outs as well. Um, but yeah, the way they were used last week certainly. The, the line that I used last week was uh, Tim Kelly called plays like David Johnson was his fantasy back. Huh. So. <laughs> he, he had a big game, obviously, about seven yards of carry, right? It was like 11 for 77 or 76. Yeah, he looked rejuvenated. I'm not saying that was even you know, necessarily a, a play, but, but kind of just having all the passes go that way. I know they had a package designed for Duke Johnson, who I think is probably going to miss this game as well, where they had two backs out, but... I feel like I feel like a lot of what they're doing right now is very David Johnson heavy. Okay. All right. Um, what else about the offense? I mean, we've, we've talked about some of the formation and usage. Is there anything else, maybe a common play or something that that comes up? You mentioned the Yankee concept. Maybe something else. Bubble screens. They run any of those? Do they run any other screen passes a fair amount? Actually, last year they ran the fewest screen passes in the NFL. <laughs> story uh what happened last week was that uh, i think three or four of them got called and people were like wow they're already like 40 percent the way last year <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, i i guess what i would call the predominant o'brien route is the post i feel like the post over the middle uh to, to one of the receivers uh, usually it'll be uh fuller or akins i think that's kind of what i would call their bread and butter play at this point uh, that isn't Yankee or isn't uh, inside zone. Inside zone is what they spend more time on than anything, of course. Sure. In terms of the, the, the post draft, do you think that would be accentuated? I mean, there's two places on the field that I really expected the Browns to attack. The Browns, very heavy 12 personnel team. And what I thought immediately was that they're going to really try and exploit the area behind the linebackers and in front of the safeties because Deshaun Elliott is really just getting his first NFL playing time now, even though it's year three. And in week one, I thought he was terrific. I mean, they, they had an unbelievable amount of time to throw the Ravens through pressure and scheme at Baker Mayfield. And, you know, I know it's Baker Mayfield, but uh, he had all kinds of opportunity to test that area of the field and uh, couldn't get it done in terms of really even targets, but, but certainly in terms of completions. Is that an area where you would expect the Texans to attack with 12, or is it an area they can even attack with wide receivers? I definitely think that's something that leans more into their uh, their 11 personnel than their 12 personnel. Um, 
I think the way the Texans will approach this game is kind of uh, <laughs> it's kind of weird to talk about because I think the the Ravens blitzing, uh, you know, the rate that they do it at really throws off a lot of what Ryan actually wants to do. And kind of the counterpunch to that is, you know, you've got David Johnson, right? So in theory, uh, you know, I think the Texan would be best off just trying to run angle routes, trying to have David Johnson and Jordan Akins catch some balls over the middle, kind of in the gaps maybe, um, try to get some easy yards that way. But I have no confidence that will happen. I don't I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know if they're going to rework the world odds or not so we will see man <laughs> right all right well that's uh uh you know certainly something that the, the browns did was to hold extra receivers in um you know they, they i don't know if you track this for various teams or not getting home or getting mayfield off the spot he still had 44 percent of these three second pockets that i count so uh, is really all about the secondary maintaining coverage for a period of time and, and Mayfield not being accurate. So the question I would have is, do, do you see any of that as a possibility? And, and maybe maybe do you know, in the Texans' case, what their rate of um, usage of eligible receivers for blocking is? I don't track that offhand, no, but I, I do know that they love to have Darren Fells block. And uh, Darren Fells... Seems like he should be a good blocker, and I think he's got them fooled to the fact that he is, which is kind of unsettling to say maybe. But uh, you know, he's he's got obviously got a huge body, um, he's got a lot of power, but he has problems getting low, and he blew more blocks last year per Sports Info Solutions than any other tight end in the NFL. Wow. So they they had him do that a lot um, last week against Kansas City on the uh, Tyron Matthew. Uh, the play where he actually hit Deshaun Watson and in motion and got that ball intercepted. Uh, that was another one that he blew. Uh, so, or that sorry, the fells blew. So, like you know, that's a big thing for the Texans right now. Uh, Jordan Akins, who they're using more of, has never been a blocking prospect in any way. He's definitely a one-dimensional uh, receiver who can break some tackles. So I think the Texans are, are the best way for the, they, they, they can deal with all these blitz packages is to throw it out wide screen or, you know, angle right it up. Okay. All right. That makes a lot of sense. Fells, in, in particular, is a very hard man to tackle. I remember his catch against the Ravens last year being one of the really ones I didn't want to keep re-watching because he probably broke four tackles on the play and was dragging players. I mean, it was just a very impressive, long 15 yards of they couldn't bring him down. You said Fells? I think it was Fells, yeah. I I, I, I believe so. Well, I mean, I believe you. <laughs> I, I, my, my brain rejects all the notions that you provided, but I believe Okay, but he was with the Texans. <laughs> no, he's, he, he was, yeah. No, he, he, he's, he's got decent hands. Um, uh, he's not like... He's not a guy I want running post routes over the middle. But the Texans sometimes did that last year, but uh, he's got he's got a lot of power once he's got the ball for sure. Um, I, I wouldn't call him an open field make you miss kind of guy, but uh, he's got some power, yeah. Yeah, more more like an open field couldn't take him down kind of guy. I'm, I'm I'm trying to get the game log on this so I can really get it what the what the individual play I'm thinking of was, but he had one reception for 18 yards, so I guess that's it. <laughs> <laughs> 
but but it was a it was a relatively short pass that, that just kept dragging people, and it all of a sudden was a was a long play. I, I would have guessed even longer than eighteen, but that's got to be the play. You know, Darren Fell. Uh, I I'm a fan of Darren Fell's the person, and what I like the most about him is that he publicly admitted to the athletic that uh, he's a bath man. So Darren Fell is <laughs> a bath man. Deal with it. All righty. Let's, let's go over the defensive side of the ball for a minute. We talked a little bit about this, but uh, maybe talk base scheme, most common looks. And I really like to separate, you know, what the, what the Texans, how they like to set up on downs where the opponent might like to run. And then maybe talk a little bit about how they like to set up on, on more obvious passing downs. Cool. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, first year defensive coordinator, Anthony Weaver, uh, strutting in. Have you heard of him? I have not. Anthony, former Raven. Oh, that Anthony Weaver. Okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Played played five years. Was a great draft pick in 2002. Was part of the group that the uh, the salary cap purge after 01 really turned the defensive o- defense over to. I did not realize he was a defensive coordinator. Now that's terrific. Notre Dame guy. Yeah. He. Uh, what did you say? He went to Notre Dame. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Oh, um, yeah, I mean, uh, this is his first year. Um, brand coordinator, never called plays before. This is a theme. This is a theme. Um, Romeo Cornell was kind of still here and working oversight, I guess. So, I mean, I guess you could say that he's the shadow DC if you want to get real technical about it. But uh, Anthony Weaver, uh, and of course, this is going to be another retro flashback for you guys, uh, has taken a lot of his philosophy from, from uh, Rex Ryan. So... We're getting a lot of plays uh, early on in that sort of uh, vein. Um, a lot of kind of amoeba looks. Um, a lot of uh, a lot more DBs than I'm used to seeing on on a Texans field, of course. And you know, you get the, get the plays like uh, I don't know, like King's pressure. I don't know if you know that one, but uh, uh, some of some of the Texans fans that follow me are sending me like Rex Ryan's old playbooks and like calling out plays that got called against Kansas City. So like this is if you if you watch that defense, you know exactly what to expect here. Okay, well, that's that's really Rex Ryan was extremely adaptable. I mean, one of the one of the things I like stories I like to tell is in in 2005, the Ravens had a, a kind of a street of dying men. I'd like to say it was the only one, but they've had that about three different times over the last 15 years uh, in, in the secondary. Just a, a lot of uh, injuries there, and they were they were left with two cornerbacks who could play McAllister and Roll. And Reed was out, and the only guy they really trusted at safety anymore was Deion Sanders, who was really a cornerback, obviously. And they would play three defensive backs a fair amount. In fact, they did it 265 snaps, and that's just it's it's unfathomable to me that as recently as 2005, a defensive <laughs> coordinator was was willing to do that. But but Ryan was very adaptable, and he did it by by effectively giving a lot of coverage responsibility to Adelis Thomas and Bart Scott. So uh, you know, I've always he's the best DC the Ravens have ever had. Um, it, it is close because the Ravens have had a lot of good DCs, but he's the guy that's just he's ahead above the others in terms of how reckless he was, how willingness he was to start the dial at eleven in terms of pressure and then move it back. So if that's really the the scheme they're running, and and if he's not if if you don't have a coordinator that wants to be timid with that, then I'm sure it'll it'll work well. And I guess, I guess Weaver's last year last last year with the Ravens, 
at least Ryan was his DC. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and then when they were in Buffalo, or sorry, when Ryan was in Buffalo, uh, Lieber was his defensive line coach. So uh, a lot of roots there for him. And then, of course, a lot of roots with Romeo Cornell, too. So the, the, the I think we're kind of seeing him kind of emerge as sort of this hybrid of, of those two in some way. So um, it's going to be extremely interesting to see how it plays out. But uh, other than telling you, you know, what I see from week one, I really have a whole lot of, uh, of an idea of what we're going to see beyond his influences. Yeah, you know, that's it's a, a cool point you make there is that week one is always like Christmas for me in terms of being a guy who really looks at defensive packages because you see all these new things that, first of all, they never show you in, in training camp. The exhibition games always play very plain, you know, base nickel dime kind of packages. They never show you what they're really going to do with with extraordinary things. And then you see these weird things in, in week one that you've never seen before. At least, we, you know, we, we have with uh, um, uh, Martindale uh, last year, this year, the year before. Um, have you seen some looks this year that were like, I've never seen this before? Uh, looks and then also uh, player packages. Um, uh, you know, it was kind of coming out of Texans camp that A.J. Moore, the backup safety, would have more of a role. Uh, this year, but nobody expected him to come in and I think essentially become the uh, linebacker on downs. Like that kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, Vernon Hargraves uh, was primarily a slot corner last year. And then I guess because they felt Lonnie Johnson was too injured, they uh, decided that Hargraves was starting outside, which did not go well, um, of course. And uh, I think just in general, you know, if you have a good idea of what Rex Ryan did, you weren't blown away by what you saw but if you're a texans fans used to romeo cornell's uh you know it's third and long i'm gonna draw up a big zone defense like like that that, that didn't happen <laughs> okay so that's it's a with it with the texans a fairly committed nickel team before this year then um or do they have a i would i would say they leaned toward nickel surely um probably like a an 80-20 nickel team. They did bring in Dylan Cole to do some dime uh, this year. I think I think Dylan Cole is actually uh, considered. Uh, I mean, he's health, he's on the roster, but he's not really healthy yet. So, don't know if he's going to maintain that role or not when uh, when that happens. Okay, for for a good team, I'd say 25 to 30 percent dime when you have a normal amount of leads and whatnot might be normal. Uh, the Ravens were up at. 42.2% diamond quarter last year, and they really used it in a, in a variety of additional situations that they really hadn't before. So it's it kind of an interesting change for them. But, you know, part of that was not having any good inside linebacker talent. Not, no real standout inside linebacker talent anyway on the Ravens last year. Well, you worked on that on the offseason, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, certainly. You know, you, you have your own beefs about the draft, but one thing I don't like, I, I don't really like spending a lot of draft, draft capital on a running back. And we've all heard the arguments for that, so we don't need to rehash it. But I also think you get better value platooning at linebacker than you get trying to draft the three-down unicorns, particularly in round one. So while, while I think Patrick Queen will be a good player, it's a, you know, he will cost the Ravens a lot of money if they keep him. And if they don't, if it's, a, if it's they, they will always run the risk while he's here of if he gets injured, they're in, you know, oh, crap, what do we do now mode. And if you if you lose one guy out of your two or three man platoon, that's much easier to replace. 
Well, if you uh, were the Texans, what you would do is try to draft the three-down unicorn guy twice, both times admit that you did not draft the three-down unicorn guy, and then both times still sign them to a long-term extension. <laughs> there you go. So I saw the big contract that Cunningham had, and you and I have had some discussion about it already. You think it was a little rich, but but not unbearable, honestly, in his case. You're being a little bit negative on this. And, you know, represent your team, buddy. I know you love these guys. I mean, it's uh, kind of it was a terrible signing, just slightly overpriced, right? No, yeah, I think I think um, I think a pure passing down uh, linebacker, he is a little stretched. I think he's a better zone defender than he has a man. That's all. Um, I think he's he just has a little bit just a little bit more that he could do to be better. And, you know, Cunningham last year kind of really blossomed as a as a run stopper. Uh, he started shooting those gaps with a lot more frequency. Um, the Texans did manage, I guess, is a good way to put it, without J.J. Watt last year in the run game, which was more than some people expected, uh, mainly because Cunningham uh, kind of stepped up his game a little bit. And I think he's I think he's got a really good process on these rundowns. I think he and uh, and McKinney have good chemistry too. Okay, that's good to hear. What, how about in terms of his recognition of route concepts at the line of scrimmage? It's one of the things I look for in inside linebackers to see, does the guy get what's going on behind him in the passing game such that he can he can impact the various routes that are possible? And can he kind of recognize that the way a quarterback would on the other side in terms of getting to a spot where he can potentially help? Oh, yeah, he's... I- as a zone defender, I think he's got good recognition of a lot of stuff. Um, he's, I think he got, he wound up with one pick of Baker Mayfield in Mayfield's rookie year. I think that might have been the last one, but I mean, he, he, that was a pick six. But he's shown a lot of of uh, ability to read quarterback eyes, to to understand the concepts. With him, it's just about man to man. The Patriots um, love to put running backs on him and, and run them up sideline. So I mean, zone got no qualms. It's all a man and man with him. All right. Now on the let's let's move a little bit to the defensive line. The Ravens play a really rotational scheme. So whenever I look at the opponents and they have a lot of snaps concentrated in the individual players, I really kind of you know bat an eyebrow or whatever it is. And and uh, uh, and it was JJ Watt played 63 out of 69 snaps in his first week. Is he at a point in his career where he would benefit from better snap management? I mean, I definitely think so. Um, right now, they've, they've spent a lot of time managing his practice load, actually. He didn't play in any of the scrimmages. Um, he didn't, you know, he, he barely participated in practice at all this, this offseason. Um, with them right now, it's a matter of talent and trust. And uh, I don't know how much of the the Kansas City opener your your listeners may have watched I mean that run defense got washed over and he's one of the only guys they trust on it so it was one of the things I think where you know I think the old world would walk be like a an interior pass rusher who gets rundowns off probably but the Texans really haven't developed the talent that they trust yet at that position, especially with DJ Reader uh, gone to Cincinnati so I think it's one of those things where, yeah, you're probably right in theory that it would be a good move, but I don't know who they're going to put. Okay. All right. I mean, it's, it's uh, one of the things we noticed is 
Uh, Calais Campbell was the best player on the field for the Ravens defensively. Unfortunately, it's not really seeing a lot from week one. They didn't. They, they had, at least in the front seven, they didn't have the greatest game. Let's put it that way. And the uh, uh, he had three passes defense. And what I thought maybe was a help to him is he's played 77 to 80 percent of the snaps the last five years, and those from ages 29 to 33. Now he's 34 with the Ravens, and he played for only 59% of the snaps in game one. So the Ravens much more of a rotational team. Martindale is the ultimate snap manager. Uh, you know, I just wonder if that's if that's part of the of the paradigm going forward, or maybe they're just a little short on talent right now. And I wanted to ask you separately about the reader pick in terms of who's really stepped in for him at either defensive tackle or nose tackle to pick up some of that, that lost production. Sure. So Brandon Dunn was kind of a combo 3-4 slash nose tackle last year. Um, he's mostly become the actual nose tackle. Um, I think Brandon Dunn is a solid player. Um, I don't think that he anywhere near our reader had, unfortunately. And this role, um, I'm not sure if it's going to work out as like a long thing for him. I think he might give up a little bit too much, but obviously pulling for him. Hope he proves me wrong. Um, to start things off outside last week, we had Charles Amenahu, who I uh, really liked coming out as a fifth round pick, uh, play three, four end. Uh, he built up a lot this off season. He got from, I think, 240 to 280 or so. So uh-huh. a lot of what I'm curious about with that is just how it's going to translate. Uh, you know, before he was kind of a good interior pass rusher who, you know, made some big plays last year. He had a sack on Mahomes in week six to kind of change the course of that game. But, uh, you know, game one uh, kind of didn't go so well for him uh, as, a, as a run defender. So those are those are the, those are the main two. And then, of course, you've got uh, Black Lock, uh, I think, will emerge at some point, whether it's week four, week eight as as a three or end two. All right. Uh, take us through the secondary really briefly. I know you talked a little bit uh, about them, so about a couple individuals, but why don't you take us through all, who the base secondary is, the slot corner, and, and the dime again. All right. Well, we got Bradley Roby as the main corner. Uh, he does slide in some, inside sometimes. Uh, if anybody's going to shadow on this team, it's him. Um, pretty good little player. Um, got a big contract extension this offseason. Uh, one of the few I think that they kept and everybody was happy about. So uh, I felt like that contract wound up maybe overvaluing him a little bit, but not by much. So uh, glad that he is healthy. Uh, he missed a lot of the middle of last year, and that really hurt the Texans. Uh, uh, number two corner. This is a great question. So this should be Gary on Conley. Gary on Conley is hurt. Uh, try to come off uh, a PUP and. Uh, noticeably was dragging in the scrimmages video that we got, which was very little. Mm-hmm. So uh role rotated last week between Vernon Hargraves and Lonnie Johnson. Lonnie Johnson was the second round pick in 2019. Um, all the physical talent in the world, like, you know, built, built to play football, uh, had very little success last year was, I think, I, I don't, I don't, I don't really know how bad the grade was from PFF, but I feel like everybody talks about it. Like it's like he, he had like a, a bonkers bad grade. Um, I know that uh, 
Sports Info Solutions gave him a pretty bad uh, coverage grade as well. So he's got a lot to prove. Uh, obviously, they're depending on him to take a huge step this year. Now let's talk about him for a second. Uh, a lot of he's, he's he's the kind of size that the Ravens always covet. And the Ravens in the last couple of years have had more outside corner aircraft carrier size, like what Lonnie Johnson brings. I'm seeing he's six two two thirteen here. He's listed at. Um, does he use that effectively to press? He didn't last year. Um, he did have some some good moments. I feel like he had flashes of good games. He played really well in that Week Six game. <laughs> Bring it up, Kansas City. Uh, he did some good stuff on the outside there uh, with with uh, Sammy Watkins and uh, Demarcus Robinson as well. I think like, played pretty well in that one. But uh, in general, kind of a tough player to get your mind around because I think his footwork was really poor last off last season. And he actually spent the offseason working with a footwork trainer, uh, hmm. trying to, to to get a little bit better there. So this is a guy who uh, was on the injury for the hip. Uh, that kind of contributed to him not playing a whole lot the first game. But then they played him in the second half for I don't know why. I don't I I, I don't understand. Um, you know, we're looking forward to seeing what happens this year of him. Okay. How's he as a as a run defender? Is he a, is he a good support player there at that kind of size? Oh yeah, I think he's pretty good at that stuff. Uh, I've seen him make a few big tackles. He's not Kareem Jackson yet. The Kareem was one of the greats in that area for a long time for the Texans, but he's pretty good. Okay. All right. Uh, uh, so so we talked Hargraves, right? Mm-hmm. Um. The the uh, the fourth DB who played a lot last week was uh, uh, fourth round pick John Reed, uh, kind of thrust into a slot role right away. Uh, I was really high on Reed coming out. I think he's got a great story. He uh, you know takes apart computer, and all that stuff. Like he's he seems to study the game intently uh, to the point where every press conference he gives, he's telling you about. Uh, know maybe giving up a little bit too much information <laughs> uh coming out he talked about how penn state kind of switched to cover three a lot in his last year there so he spent a lot of time uh you know picking uh the best cover three corners that he could to learn from like like Tredavious white uh was one that he named so i mean i think he's got a good chance good slot corner uh first game <laughs> against the chiefs a little bit rusty a little bit you know i think he's got a lot to grow on there though Okay. It, this secondary, as you're, as you're calling it out, how do you expect them to line up against the Ravens? And will there be any, any follow player for Marquise Brown? Would be the first question. And, and how else do you defend Mark Andrews in this situation? Uh, I mean, I think that last week that they really want A.J. Moore to be that guy uh, to defend Mark Andrews. Uh, he spent a lot of time on Travis Kelsey. Uh, not always successfully, uh, but is actually more of a special teams guy uh, who kind of made a impact last year as a pass rusher. So um, I think I think they like they they want him to be that kind of versatile guy who can do all this stuff. I'm not sure if he's quite going to be the pass coverage defender they want though. So I think you probably see some of that on uh, on Mark Andrews. I think if they do chase uh, Marquise Brown around, I think that they will use Roby. Um, kind of what they did last week actually was fascinating in a way because they held the Chiefs to a very low uh, average pass depth. 
like they were competing on i think i think it wound up being like four point or 4.6 air yards per attempt and they totally kept tyreek hill from going anywhere but the cost of that was you know having those safeties deep game they got chewed up in the run game and they got chewed up underneath yeah i I remember seeing that i mean one of the things that really stood out about Mahomes is he was getting the ball off very quickly and that's a big transition for him to, to go into being a guy who loves to extend plays and be a gunslinger to a guy who really wants to be more like Manning or Brady in terms of doing quick reads right off the bat and getting that ball out on a slant or on the screen or whatever it might be. So I'm very curious about this game in particular because, you know, as I told you, we've got a rookie defensive coordinator. We have one game of play calling data. Um, I'm sure that he's seen kind of how Cleveland locked down on the run game for Baltimore. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he's going to study that intently because I feel like uh, how bad the Texans did against the, against the run last week. It's going to be a big point of emphasis. But I'm also not sure if he's going to play the game where he's going to let Cleveland's kind of defense, let Lamar Jackson see what he can do, or if he's going to play the game where he wants Lamar Jackson to march up and down the field five yards at a time. And I can kind of see arguments for both of them. So, I'm, I mean, this is kind of weird territory. So I'm not sure what's going to happen. Well, you're, you seem really down on the Texans right now. So I'm going to give you give you a bone here that you're going to really like is Ronnie Stanley didn't practice today on Wednesday. And the, the, the Ravens offense is tremendously limited with DJ Fluker at left tackle. In fact, I'm not even sure if they can go through another game with him at left tackle. So, you know, they don't have a lot of options, obviously. They didn't, they only had two tackles on the entire roster. Their third string tackle that I thought was going to make the team was Will Holden, who has now been cut by his seventh team for the eighth time in a four year career. But he's a fifth round draft pick of Arizona in 2017. And, you know, that's the best option they have as a backup left tackle right now, in my opinion. He's sitting on the practice squad. Any team could claim him right now because they just unprotected him this week. And I think he might <laughs> be the best best option they have at left tackle. So uh, the Ravens off, offense very limited without Ronnie Stanley there. And I think that, that the other thing that in week one really didn't show up is they didn't play a lot of the pistol uh, and power read plays that they had before, uh, you know, in 2019. They played many fewer of them. Uh, many more cases where the back is lined up to one side instead of in the pistol. And and honestly, you know, that it's just not their normal way of doing business. It doesn't give their double teams in the middle long enough to um, develop while the mesh is kind of being played out by Jackson and the running back. So and that was disappointing to me. And I'm thinking playing AJ playing against JJ Watt this week. One of the things they need to try and do is freeze him by going back to more of those read option plays. And I just don't know if they can do it when on the other side you've got the kind of weakness that, that Fluker presents. Yeah, that'll be an interesting one. And also uh, where they line J.J. Watt up, because for the first time in a while last week, we saw him get some steps inside. Um, I'm, I'm, I know that I sound very down with Texans sometimes, but I actually am a little bit optimistic about what Anthony Weaver did in his first game. I'm kind of curious how he's going to approach this, because he seems like he's a guy who actually looks at the full tool, the, the, the full toolbox. Uh, before he decides, you know, I'm going to put this guy here and this guy there. So, I mean, the way it would have been last year is J.J. Watt would have primarily lined up over uh, a Zeus Brown, and we would have had 
Whitney Merciless feeling with uh, DJ Fluker in this case. So I'm not entirely sure how they're going to do that this year. Whitney Merciless's first game was pretty brutal, if we're being honest. Um, I think he had a 0% pressure rate in like 40 snaps. Yeah. I, it, it was it was bad it was pretty bad but uh maybe he can rebound he has been better against the uh, worst tackles uh as far as i've studied markedly so over his career so maybe getting fluker outside would be what they need to get him going all right all right fair enough well let's uh let's wrap it up here and say who's the one player you think uh, could, could that matches up well against the ravens in this game and, and could get in trouble offensively or defensively but pick one okay um, I think I will pick Jordan Akins. I think Jordan Akins is a kind of player that the Texans need to feature to win this game. I think he needs to get targeted off the line of scrimmage a lot more than he has been, and I think he's got kind of the tackle-breaking ability to make the Ravens pay for those blitz schemes that they like to employ so much. Okay. That's, that's, a, that's a good pick. I can count on you, Rivers, to not pick an obvious one. But that's a that's a good one that uh, <laughs> I think I think we should watch Watson. He's a pretty good player. Who knows what'll happen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, one more time, your your Twitter handle easy to remember at Rivers McCown. Any but anything else you want to plug right now? Sure. Uh, RiversMcCown.com is where all the Texas analysis is. I'll be posting a big preview for this game sometime uh thursday so boy i should get on that huh <laughs> <laughs> all right well thanks so much for joining us uh folks listening out there uh we oh, we have a couple of mailbag questions let me do that before we get we let you go here because i did want to make sure we uh do that one of them was actually really good and i want to get to that here okay uh, what would be the best adjustments to, to make if Stanley can't go Sunday? We better will handle that otherwise. Um, Stephanie Stradley uh, said, oh, I know. Sponsor, and I don't know who did. She's this great. Sponsor, and this matchup, what specific things would you like to see the Texans change for this game? You know, it's got to those, uh, those hot routes. The hot routes are going to determine so much about this game that it's scary. And I think. Way, the way the Texans have gotten in trouble is that they've gone to the flat with that stuff. And I know you're not like versed in the Deshaun Watson greater universe lore, but out of the problems he had coming out as far as people you know, believed was that the, the ball lacks velocity. And I think there is some truth to that. The ball does lack velocity. It doesn't prevent him from being a good quarterback. It doesn't prevent him from being a good deep ball thrower even. But uh, kind of the snap throws like right to the uh, hashes – are a little he's a little bit rustier on those than i think you know uh, an aaron Rodgers or a matthew stafford would be so a lot of the hot routes that wound up that wind up you know being flat being a a quick a quick out are tough for him and i think the texans need to adjust those hots to have a chance in this game with how the blitz is the blitzing with baltimore so that's an interesting thing because normally a big quarterback back like him, I do not associate that with weak arm strength. And I, I certainly don't associate weak arm strength with him in general. So is this just a, a short arm the throws or there's a there's a weight transfer issue, mechanical issue of some sort? No. Something where at the combine they measured his ball at like 
I want to say it's like 25 miles per hour. It was a really stupid controversy for a little there and kind of the way they the way it wound up was it you know didn't actually matter as far as his quarterback play but i do think that compared to you know some of the elite elite plus plus arms in the game that he does uh he, he does have more problems throwing to his quick outside okay all right well, that's interesting I've, I've never heard that about him anyway Thanks again for joining us, Rivers. We, we we greatly appreciate that. Anytime you're on the show, it makes it a good one. And uh, please, uh, well, when we ask you again, <laughs> hopefully you'll be more positive about the Texans, not because of this game, but because of the their other playoff appearance and whatnot that's sure to come. Uh, but uh, really appreciate you coming on again, buddy. You are really optimistic, and I need that in my life right now. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, of course, I book all of Ken's other guests. So if you don't know that, <laughs> I'm the brains behind that. <laughs> that's, that's absolutely true. Rivers is, is one of several people. Mark Schofield deserves a little hand in this. And this, and uh, Oscar Aparicio, in terms of people that I always ask, who are the good analysts of the other teams? So great. And really appreciate all you've done for me in that regard, Rivers. Of course. It's, it's great. I, I love this podcast. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to help out. And uh hope everybody as a good Sunday, um, I probably, I'm guessing that I'm probably going to have a Sunday where a lot of fans are very upset with uh, the Texans and are really rage lashing out at me. So I hope your listeners at least can, can do a little bit better for that. <laughs> okay. Well, I appreciate that, Rivers, and uh, we'll love to talk to you again another time soon. Thanks for joining us here on Film Study. We'll talk to you next time. We're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. For the one standing guard. For the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com slash safety, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.